Welcome to episode 12 of the Permaculture Pimp Cast, the only permaculture pimp cast out there where we discuss permaculture from a pragmatic point of view. I'm Billy. And I'm William. And together we are a father-son team that are dropping it like it's hot. Apparently I'm not allowed to say that these days. Yeah, it's a little outdated now. Yeah, but. yeah apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, For the younger gonna- crowd, this podcast is bussing. I don't even know what that means. Bussin'? It's bussin'. Bussin'. Okay, so you can tell by our music selection. All three of us got that. Bussin'. Okay, so I, Okay, so apparently we're bussin'. All right, tip of the day, y'all. Right off the bat, uh, don't plant your comfrey in rich soil. Son, do you want to tell them why? Yeah, comfrey likes the worn-out, played-out, rocky, hard-compacted soil. It likes the crappiest soil you have because Clay. it is a... yeah. It is a, uh, a dynamic accumulator, so it likes to. It works in those pioneer areas. It's a pioneer species. We have used it with success in potting soil and stuff like that, but you want to avoid it because it seems like it grows ten times faster. We even actually put in the instructions when we mail comfrey: do not put this stuff in potting soil, and a lot of people do it. We had it grown in uh, clay soil in Texas, and that clay was almost like play-doh. We had that stuff in. It, where I was at an, at another place in Texas, we had it growing in rock. Yeah, I mean it was finding its way. Now I wouldn't want to go down there and try to pick that stuff up. And it didn't. It wasn't anywhere near as robust as in something you know where it's more loamy and stuff. But I got to say that stuff was blowing up. And it seems yep. after all the times we've grown it in the different areas we grow it, it always seems to do much much better. The worse the soil, the better that stuff seems to do. Yeah, I mean, once it gets established, once it gets you, once you get it established, and it might take it a little bit to get there, uh, that stuff, you can't kill it. It doesn't go away. Farm news. Okay, this is, um, it isn't pleasant news at all. Uh, my friend and mentor, Danny, down at Deep South Homestead, um, as uh, a number of people have already reached out and said to me already, I didn't know um, till last night. Um Apparently he's in the hospital and they're doing tests on him. He's done a couple of videos kind of giving everybody an update on it. But folks, he's my friend and mentor. And I ask all of you out there to pray for him and pray that he gets a full recovery and whatever's going on is, you know, stopped. Um, you know, they're dear friends of ours, Danny and Wanda both. And I just, you know, when, when things like that happen, I'm always, you know, if something were to happen to me here, you and mom could run with it. If something were yeah. to happen to us, mom could run with it. Yeah. You know, it, they don't have a plan B down there as far as, I mean, I'm, I imagine um, there's some folks stepping up. I would almost bet on it that are looking after things. But, you know, when you, when you're a two person operation, like they are, believe me, they don't have a, they, they don't have a whole gang of people out there doing this for them. Yeah. It's just them. Yeah. It's just those two. So hopefully I think some mutual friends are out there probably helping them out. So prayers to them, okay? Um, Homesteading Life Conference. That's coming up this uh, weekend. It's going to be Sunday and Monday up yep. in Missouri. So Hannibal, Missouri. Yeah, I've never been to Hannibal, strangely enough. I mean, for as much... It, <laughs> you know what's really laughable? I use Mark... First of all, we lived in the Kansas City area outside of Kansas City. We didn't live in Kansas City, but we lived near there. And you would think... I've been to the Mark Twain National Forest, so have you... We have never been to Hannibal. I mean, as many times as I've quoted Mark Twain, numerous yeah. times, I never took the time to get over there and check it out. I mean, so I'm really looking forward to that. Also, the conference. Um, yeah, never mind the conference that we're going to, Oh, Dad. yeah, yeah, that too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you don't already have tickets, I'm sorry, it's sold out. So yeah, I think it was going, sold out. we'll see you there. Yeah, I think I think the sold out is. But we yeah. will have a booth set up, and we'll, if you're wanting to get bone sauce or comfrey or you know, comfrey sab or anything we sell there. William's even making some of these rice knives. Yeah, I'm redoing, painting some of the handles. And right now I'm looking out the window seeing mom clip some leaves for her little baby sheep down there. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> All right, well, he's she's really, really spoiling him. We're over, at, over here having this podcast, and then mom is in the background just climbing this mountain. <laughs> well, speaking of pimp cast, son, anybody out there, my buddy Jack Spearco, um, he turned me on to this, the fountain app. 
If you don't yeah. have it, go get it on your phone, folks. Listen to us through that fountain app. Number one, it's pretty navigable. I mean, I'm still learning about it, but I got to say what I love about it is that when I listen to podcasts, I mean, folks, when I'm working here on the farm during the day, that's where I get a lot of my education, whether it's you know, a better way to do compost or whether it's somebody's method for doing this or that, or whether it's keeping up in the news or watching what's going on. I'm always listening to a podcast. So if you can do it, check this out. So Fountain allows you to pay the podcaster directly for the content that they're putting out. And it's not like you're paying $10 per episode. It, it's like a couple cents, yeah, like 50 well, cents or something be. like it an episode. It can be as much as you want. It's like right. a tip jar, you know? Yeah, it's like a it's a tip jar. So if you like the episode that they're putting out this, and it also is a good way to communicate with the creator whether or not you like certain types of episodes. So if you uh, are listening to an episode and you like what they're saying, you can turn on the sat counter or something like that, which is a fraction of a Bitcoin, basically. And it'll basically just pay the, the creator as you're listening to it. It's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it's a really cool thing, and I can't wait to learn more and more about it. But at the end of the day, if we're going to remove ourselves from this idiotic systems, um, and we're going to talk about some of that today, speaking of which, the topic is going to be... Well, hold on, hold on. Going into further... I mean, here's why the Fountain app is so cool, is because a lot of podcasts and a lot of YouTube channels temper what they say because they're worried about Google AdSense and whether or not they can get ads and funding and all that stuff. Well, this negates all of that. So if you, the, the customer who really is the most important part of the equation, if you like or dislike what's being said, you can control that directly by funding or not funding that certain episodes. So tip a pimp. That's what I'm talking about, <laughs> tip y'all. A tip a pimp. <laughs> Hashtag tip a pimp. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to get that going out there. So yeah, check us out on the Fountain app. Um, also, there was um, there was a video I was just made aware of today from Goshen Prepping. Right, and it'll be linked down below if anybody wants to go see it. Um, uh, the guy, wow, I was pretty impressed. I never heard of him before, but I'll be checking him out now. I liked a lot of what he had to say. Well, it's cool to get the perspective of our channel from somebody who's outside of the channel. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought, you know, his analysis. Look, y'all, if you haven't seen it yet, I, I highly advise you to check it out. Um, here's what he did. And I'm not just saying this because he put us on, you know, a spotlight. What I really, he said better that he said it better than I ever could concerning what's going on out there. And folks, we've kind of briefly discussed it before. What's happening <laughs> is that, okay. And he uses us as an example. So he, we got he said it without pissing everybody off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely learn something from the guy at Goshen. Um, I intend to check out more of his content. Um, been super busy, so I haven't had a chance to really look into it. But in a nutshell, what he's saying and what we were saying in that one video is that he says, okay, check out these permapasture people. And admittedly, he hadn't checked out a lot of our stuff, but he watched a video. And he saw when I was aggravated because apparently he has seen uh, what I've seen and what all of us have seen is that all of a sudden you have these homestead channels that were doing good work. They were doing decent work. And they figured out, oh, my goodness, if I can sell this fear, oh, my goodness. And let, and then he points to us, and he talks about our most recent, most popular video is when I wrote, well, it was in the thumbnail, Selling Fear. Right, yeah. And so in that, we had, I don't know, 100-some thousand, and that's really not why we do it. Because, like I said many times before, if I really wanted to put butts in seats, I know exactly how to do it. I mean, I worked yeah, in Dad I worked was in just news. pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I, why the video got made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just aggravated, and I was like, I don't even care. I don't, dude, they can scrub us off right now. I'm going to get this off my chest because a lot of times when I do those videos, it's really cathartic to me. It really is. I'm getting it off my chest, and then I feel better about it. But well, I was part of what I liked about the video was that he explained the thought process behind the creators that are doing those clickbait things. It was brilliant. Like one, he, I can't remember what channel he was referencing. Um, but he was saying like, if I put a battleship in the thumbnail, I'll get the message to a hundred thousand people. But if I put a tomato in the thumbnail, like what the video is about, then I'll only get that that message to like a thousand people. Well, and I mean, just keep that in mind whenever you're scrolling through Instagram or uh, YouTube or anything like that. Don't necessarily just pick the one, the thumbnail that's all pretty and all that stuff. Go for the one that has what you think might have the best information. Well, what he said in a better way than I ever could was that, honestly, a number of these channels, and I could pick one right off the top of my head right now, um, and they live in the South, 
Um, it's not Deep South Homestead, in case you were wondering that. But anyway, they lived down there, and they realized all of a sudden, oh, whoa, look at this. I can get tons of subscriptions and all this. All I have to do is sell fear. And worse yet, they're talking about stuff that I know for a fact they don't talk about. And then there's that side of the equation as well. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I want to thank him for pointing that out. Check it out. Check out what he says. I mean, he gave us a pretty sterling recommendation. And and he makes the point of the difference between the two, the people that are doing fear porn and then the other people that are just trying to use the thumbnail as a mechanism to get good information to you. Folks, don't think for a minute we don't know how to do this. And we've, we've never had the discussion like, Hey, do we want to go in this direction? Well, no, we don't use, I mean, YouTube is basically a means for us to evangelize permaculture and the other things that we care about, whether for, you know, veterans for child rescue and those other things, you know, that's, that's what we looked at it as a means for now having worked in the radio business before I know exactly how it works. I mean, in fact, I was told numerous times when I was doing radio, Hey, be more controversial. Hey, do, I mean, honestly, folks, I did entire shows on ghetto names just, and I hated it. I hated it. And I did it because I was still kind of learning the business at the time. And then you find out, and like they always say in the media, if it bleeds, it leads. Just like I always say in the butcher trade, if it weighs, it pays. Well, they know this and I know this very well. So we, it's something we have never done and we never will do, but he even pointed out, Hey, their most popular video, even though the more consequential videos they've done have been some pretty serious things that you could take home. Right. Those are the ones not getting the traction. It's the ones where you, you commit what I told Jack Spearco's like some uh, gratuitous vulgarity. And then all of a sudden you can put butts in seats. Look folks, we don't roll that way. And if that's what you're looking for, obviously you wouldn't be tuning into this podcast right now. Right. There's things to be worried about, things to be concerned about, but we are never going to present to you a problem to which we have not provided at least two solutions for. The point of the channel is to show you solutions to these problems. That's the point of the channel. And to show you that it's not a difficult thing to do, that you can homestead, you can farm. Right. So we will keep beat. We'll stop beating that dead horse. We'll move on into the news section. And once again, for the people that are new to this podcast, when we talk about news, it's not typically the stuff you're going to see on CNN, Fox, and all the other prostitutes out there. Um, you know, it, as a side note, I said prostitutes. John Willis sent me a text saying, hey, if prostitution is legal, shouldn't prostitution be illegal too. Yeah. <laughs> so if one is illegal, why not make them both illegal? But um, yeah, that would be wonderful in Billy's version of a utopia. But check this out in the news section. I like getting the stuff boots on the ground kind of stuff. Things I know I can confirm things I know that are facts. Well, I was down there picking up some stuff at one of the local feed stores. And it's one of those ones. It's not a tractor supply, but they basically have everything from tractor supply, but they have much better quality. Yeah. I mean, I don't care if it's a, a feeder you're needing or something for your horse. It's always better at these places and it's, it's less expensive. And plus I know that I'm supporting the little person there. So I'm in there talking to the girl and she's telling me she's having stomach issues. And I've recommended she take some apple cider vinegar and some digestive enzymes. And then also come to find out she's been drinking sodas like it's going out of style. Well, there's your stomach acid problem right there. Um, but the point of it is, before I got out of there, I said, well, how's everything going? She's like, well, business is really slowed. I'm like, well, how does business possibly slow down in a place like this? People, the way they farm, they still need chicken feed. They still right. need feed for whatever they're doing or sweet feed or whatever the case may be. And she says, well, um, right now, the thing we're noticing is that usually the deer hunters are coming by this time and they're getting whole corn. And it used to be for, for a while, it's been about eight bucks for a 50 pound bag. All of a sudden, she said the grain guy came in today, the salesman that came in. Uh, he told him, right now, it's up to 16 bucks. It went from 8 wow. to 16 bucks <laughs> in months. And he told them, and she, I'll, I'll tell you a little backstory that, that applies. She said, well, that's the last that we have of the cheap corn. And she says, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, from here on out, it's about to go way, way higher. Now, hold on. 16 bucks. It was eight months ago. Now it's 16, and it's going way higher, according to this guy. Yeah. This is also the same guy that told her, now, folks, I'm not selling fear. I'm just going to pass on because this is more reliable news than anything you hear from the prostitutes, in my view. But she went on to say that um, 
Now, this is months ago, and I think I even accounted for this story even on YouTube. Um, I haven't done it in the podcast, I don't think, so I'll say it here. So I go in one day, and she's a little bit beside herself. I go in and say, hey, what's going on? I'll leave her name out. And she says, man, this grain guy came in here. He about scared me half to death. And I said, why? She says, well, he said, you better go ahead and get your garden planted. Now, she's in there with her daughter. She said, you better go ahead and get that garden planted. I said, "How? what's going on? She said, this guy told me to expect $10 a loaf bread by Christmas. Wow. And now that was months ago. And hopefully it was hyperbole. Folks, I'm not saying this to scare you. Um, I'm getting boots on the ground from people that are in this industry, in this business. Because we feed our animals, we don't use any of that stuff typically. I don't know what it costs. So when we raise meat birds and stuff, I'm not buying bulk grain to do it that way. So when this sort of thing happens, I'm paying attention and I'm just passing it on to all of you, y'all, because it, I, I mean, I think that's pretty significant, man. Things are blowing up. People see gas prices right now lower and they think things are getting better. Well, you're still, it's still way more than what it was. Yeah. Maybe start thinking about your crops for your animals, uh, leaning more on ruminants instead of your omnivores, uh, stuff like that. Just keep in mind that the grain and the feed prices are probably going to skyrocket here before too long. Well, all I think everything it's not even poisoned. Well, yeah, we talked about that a couple of uh, episodes ago where that I'm just not believing all this is a freaking accident. Right. Yeah. It's either poisoned or it's expensive or oh, both. Also in news, uh, don't forget to check out the these little ones uh documentary by Stu Peters. Right. We talked about it in the last one. Y'all Je- definitely check that out. It's tough to watch. But if these people can have it done to them, then I, I I think it's... It shows you how easily done, how easily it is done. Okay, I want to offer a correction, son. Regarding the last podcast we did, and I'm not really sure it's a correction as much as a preference. Right. And William, what did you tell him before regarding your uh, swale, how to lay it out? That the, the width needs to be three times the depth on a swale. Okay, now Eric Sider got with me, and... Um, Thanks, Eric. Shout out to my yeah, man, thanks, Eric. Eric. And folks, when I am always glad to be corrected. I don't want to put bad information out there, and I don't want to put limited information out there. So I'm looking forward to having Eric on the podcast with us very soon. And um, one thing he pointed out is that as a matter of preference, let me back up a little bit. If you go to the permaculture design manual, there's no specifications on how to do your swale. So right. William gave you information. Well, there, are, there are specifications. There's one area in the in the in the design manual that talks about, um, but it only applies to steep environments, really. But it talks about making your next swale where the next where the tree canopy ends in elevation. Basically, I know that's kind of hard to explain without looking at it, but it, it doesn't go into much detail about swales. Now, when Eric was talking to the pimp daddy of permaculture himself, Jeff Lawton, who he pretty much has on speed dial, um, they were basically saying that they, they like it to where the elevation doesn't get higher than your mud boot. And that's also the a water, right? Of the yeah. water. But folks, at the end of the day, it's a matter of preference. You Which know? also is not a bad barometer to keep in mind. No, it isn't. Especially if you're using your swale as a footpath or like a tractor path or whatever. Well, that's exactly what he said. Jeff governs his buy is can you drive whatever it is you need down there, whether it's a wheelbarrow, a tractor, whatever the case may be, you can use it as access. I tend not to want to use it as access um, unless we have to, primarily because of the fact that in some of the places we've applied them before, depending on how you lay it out, might make all the difference in the world. Now, in John's case, in in the ones we just installed down there, we didn't really have the option because of the rock we were going through. Well, yeah, and also I wouldn't, I'd be concerned with the compaction because I want that as loose and uh, infiltrated as possible. Well, we had to go two feet down just to even get soil, man. We were pulling up right. rock. Yeah, there, there was a layer of, uh, what's it called, chat? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a layer of chat out there. That right. stuff is not fun. But if you want to use that ratio, that's fine. It's a matter of preference. But just make sure your design is on point. You want to make absolutely sure that um, that whatever you do, you want to make sure it's engineered right. We we did it with a um, a frame, and then we came back and checked it with a le- with a laser, right? Just to make sure that we had a spillway between in the top swale. We had a spillway between the pond, or I'll call it the accidental pond, and the swale, and then there was another spillway 
higher, four inches higher down at the other end. And those things can be adjusted early on. Right. But you want to make sure you get it right the first time because, you know, going back to try to fix something like that is nightmare. And I got that uh, ratio from my first permaculture design course. That's where I got that ratio from. I went back and checked my notes. And, uh, yeah, that's where I got it from. But it can absolutely work. Um, right. And it, it has worked. We've stuck to that ratio every time we've dug a swale, I think. I didn't before. I it, used... Well, there was one where we didn't. That It was one where we dug it uh, really deep. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. one was a little sketchy because that, that was a... Well, yeah. it goes right back to it depends. Yeah. You know, it depends. I mean, you have you have obstructions, whether it be a rock layer, which we had to do. We couldn't even do a back cut on that thing. Right. Because Not the rock, with the shovel. No. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't going to happen. And if you tried to do it with that machine, you were only going to destroy. The way that rock was right. set up, I've never seen anything like it. It's like it broke off instead of dug out, if right. that makes sense. So what was... I don't think we covered that. What was the depth and width? In that one, six we feet did. wide, two feet deep. Right, and then we tried to put a back cut in where we could, but man, it, it's it's a it was a blessing and a curse all at the same time in terms of the ground. But folks, that's the nature of what you run into when you do any kind of earthworks. There's going to be surprises. There's yeah. going to be things that you can't necessarily you, well, you can't always account for. All right, when we get back, y'all, we're going to get into tactical permaculture. Was in the town of Tucson in 1983. A man named Edward Abbey come walking up to me. He pulled his seagull from his mouth, said, I smell lawyers here. The politician running dog, they crawled away. Good night, man. I love some of that old Tom Russell, y'all. If you wanna, if you wanna truly relax, I know this isn't a music podcast, but honestly, there is nothing more relaxing than listening to these old troubadours, man, laying it down. I mean, if you listen to Tom, Tom Russell, man, oh man. Okay, I won't get sideways, son. We're gonna talk. <laughs> I guess too late for that. Yeah. Um, topic, y'all. We're gonna hit something here that is probably gonna make us very, very hated among the purple people. Yeah, the purple breathers. Yeah. The mouth breathers. Yeah, so the folks out there that, you know, we, we have different, I guess we fall in the brown camp, forgive the pun, but um, the only reason it's I a just... podcast, Dad, they can't see you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully some of you people have checked out the YouTube channel and you know that I'm just a little bit brown. Okay, I'm not as black as the Ace of Spades or as black as this microphone, but hey, it is what it is. Okay. Now, this one I did, I can't, look, y'all, just so you know, there are no, a lot of YouTubers have said to me, man, we've run out of, we've run out of content. I don't understand that at all. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't because, understand that. I mean, we, we have more content than we do, like, time to videotape it. I mean, we're doing stuff constantly where we're like, wow, we should have videotaped that. So, with that said, I am not picking this topic, tactical permaculture, because I don't have anything else to talk about. Believe me, in the permaculture realm, we can we could do three shows a day and not touch the same thing once in a year. It's come up quite a bit lately, like right. the tactical aspect. Well, it was a it was kind of an accident, really. Um, at that at that swale class, John pretty much you know yeah when he said this is a fighting position yeah he did that, but it was funny because. We were already kind of thinking in those terms anyway with how we lay this out and how we laid out every other property we've ever done. So just a little background on me, folks. I'm a f former U.S. Army sapper, uh, combat engineer, and, um, you know, I, I got a list of – I could do that line that Liam Neeson did where he said he had a list of skills and he could come after you yeah, and all that kind of good skills. stuff. Yeah. So basically a sapper, um, in a nutshell, is basically a ranger with explosives. That's what a lot of people call it. So um, – Learned a lot of cool skills, learned a lot of cool things in terms of um, a tactical environment. But the more I learned about permaculture, the more I did, the more I realized that not only does permaculture overlay with preparedness, y'all, I'm here to tell you, it overlays with military tactics as well, if you put them in the right spot. So... And what I mean is like earthworks, John kind of brought it up and I'm thinking, man, this really deserves an entire show. So in John's case, first thing out of his mouth when he saw it, yeah. 
He thought, what did he say? This is a fighting position. When he first time he saw this whale, he's like, this is a fighting position. This is why me and John are such good friends, man, because it's amazing how many times we got overlap in how we think of things. Now, in terms of uh, a swale, okay, go back to World War One, and we're talking like old, it doesn't even have to be World War One for as long as we know they've, they've used uh, trenches and stuff like that to fight battles. Well, could you use that swale, that the ditch, the berm, all of it? That's exactly what a fighting position looks like for the most part if you're in battle. Now, why are we even talking about this? The nature of the planet that we have right now every other day whether it's the YouTube channels we were just talking about, wink, wink, or if it's what you're seeing on the name, main broadcast, whatever, wherever you get your news, all of it's bad news, and every other day they're telling you the sky's falling. Is it? Probably. But I'm not <laughs> going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that. Just like I said, let's assume the sky is falling. And let's say everything is coming apart. Okay, well, just like I said before, we're not going to leave you without solutions so when you're laying out your property, let's talk, first of all, earthworks, swales. Okay. Not only is it highly functional, we talked about that in the last podcast, but you got to ask also, especially these days, if you needed to, would it make sense to put a swale near the opening of your property? I mean, every property is going to have an access point. Right. It might be a big access point. Okay, you may be in one of those places where you got a ton of road frontage. Let's say you got, I don't know, a, let's say it's a quarter mile now. Let's make it more reasonable. Well, also, keep in mind that permaculture, you're supposed to design your access first. So do your earthworks and all that stuff first. And then design your house based off where those earthworks are located. If you have the opportunity, don't try to like force your defensive positions and your earthworks in after the fact. Don't try to force it in around your house if you have the option to place your house wherever you want to. But I can tell you as a sapper that no matter where that road is, I promise you, I could make a defensive position that was also functional in terms of what you can grow in it. So in our case, we have a narrow choke point down there. First of all, I am always looking at everything. Just like when you get your permaculture design certificate, there's no way you look at it. You never look at a forest ever again. You never look at a, a field the same way again. You will never look at anything in nature the same way again. Well, it's the same thing when you have this military, um, this understanding of certain military doctrine is that I can't look at a piece of ground and not think, okay, is this defendable? So in that case, let's say you have a lot of road frontage out there. You might ask yourself, okay, can somebody just, if they're not using the driveway, could they just drive across? And if the answer is yes, then maybe, I'm not telling you what to do, then maybe, does it make sense for you to put, if it makes sense, maybe a swale out there with a giant berm on it? Right. That if anybody tried to drive over, they're just going to be high center. If you tried that at John's, you try to drive over those swales. You're going to go high center. You can't, you can't drive that. You can't drive over that swale with any vehicle that he has, except for maybe, maybe that side by side. But even then it's going to maybe bottom out in the army. We needed an AVLB, what was called an AVLB to get over things like that. And that's old technology, but basically it's a bridge layer. So ask yourself, if you've got a lot of road frontage, okay, what could you put in there? Does a hugel mound, a giant hugel mound make sense? Right. Because and it does the, for us. The correct recipe for a hugel mound is giant. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you want a giant. So also, is that hugel mound, does it, not only should it be productive and grow things. Remember, at the end of the day, a hugel mound is just building soil. And despite what some people are telling you out there, it's not, it, the guy who made it more popular was Sepp Holter. Okay. And he used it because he had wood that he couldn't market. Right. So it wasn't that he just got a bunch of logs and put them down there because he could He put them there because he couldn't use them. And as I recall, he just couldn't just drop them off at a lumber place. Yeah, his his problem was the solution. That That's an example of turning the problem into the solution. He wasn't there cutting down dead, dead trees and all that stuff, gathering rotted lumber and all that just to create hugel mounds. It was because he couldn't do anything else with it. He had to do something with it. Right. So, so ask yourself from a tactical sense. Okay, if you got a lot of road frontage up there, does a swale make sense with a I mean with a big berm on it? Or does it make better sense to put a hugel mound in there? Ask yourself, is it something somebody could just drive across? If you're worried about such things, it could be very functional, very beautiful, and have everything you need in it, and at the same time, it could very well it could very well be something that would keep somebody from just driving right across. Now, 
from a military standpoint, if it's possible, maybe at the same time, you want to put something out there. We talked before about any kind of edge on as far as a fencing, even if it's going right back for the, for those that are new, remember minefields in the military is not like you see in the um, war movies. You want the enemy to see those minefields. So maybe that's the same thing you do with your fencing. Maybe it's just a couple of strands that aren't even hot and you just put high voltage on there. Believe me, some fool's going to think twice about trying to breach right. that wire. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, if they're not a farmer, if it's somebody like me, I'm thinking, okay, which way is it being fed from? If I cut that out, I mean, first of all, I'm not going out there trying to rob anybody to begin with. <laughs> but if I had to um, go after somebody and it said high voltage, well, okay, is this 120? Is this, I mean, who knows, man? Maybe it's 277 they've rigged up out here. I don't know. More than likely, if it's a residential area, anybody seeing a high voltage sign is going to think twice about crossing that thing, even if it ain't real. So think about that. Remember, animals don't care, though. So don't try it on any predators. Right. They don't care about the sign. Right. So from a tactical sense, swales, hoogle mounds. And then also at our place, there's also a pond flanking. We got a hoogle mound on one side and we're about to have a pond on the other. And that pond well, a being, mound and a pond on one side, and right. there's going to be a pond on the other. A giant pond on the other side. So you're not just going to ford right across there. So what did I just put you in? So anybody that means you harm or anybody you don't want there, they don't have an alternate way to get up on this property. First of all, at my place, we got the hoogle mound and a pond on one side. You're going to have to drive across both, which you ain't going to do. Not even a Humvee would get across this thing. Believe me, I know. Um, and then on the other side, if there's a pond, not only is it functional, think about this from a permaculture sense, you want everything to have multiple functions. So if we've got a pond down there, the water that's in it is creating a high specific heat, meaning that we, we could use that water as an advantage to us to be able to um, grow things that ordinarily we might not be able to, okay? Right, we've we've created a microclimate down there. So it's going to be a little bit different, the temperature and the overall Climate is going to be slightly different than the surrounding areas. Water's a beautiful thing, y'all. It can be used in so many different ways, and we talked about that in terms of the swale thing. Now, with that water, nobody's just going to drive across there because they don't know how deep it is. But at the end of the day, from a tactical standpoint, I want anybody who wants to come on this property to walk up through a choke point, meaning the driveway is their only option. In fact, I've been kind of toying around with this idea for years, Putting in a drawbridge down there. Yeah. Dad's been wanting a drawbridge forever. Forever. And you know why? Because it's the ballinest thing you could ever do for your property. Plus, it'd be pretty cool to have. Plus, there's that little eight-year-old in me that always wanted one. <laughs> so, I mean, do you need a drawbridge? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> you don't need one. No, I need a drawbridge. <laughs> I'm changing my mind on that. So, anyway, the point being is that you want to channel anybody that is as military doctrine as you're ever going to find as old as old as um i mean this goes back as far as we know at least to the greeks probably much earlier than that so you choke them in fact i mean it goes right back to uh leonidas and the 300 you know what did they do they channeled it didn't matter their forces okay the battle of thermopylae even though that was made into a movie it was right on point and it, that tactic has been done numerous times. So the overwhelming number of your enemy is made null and void if you have a better tactical force, if you can channel them into a narrow, narrow area. Hannibal, the great, I uh, guess I, better, I shouldn't get too deep into history, but he was known for doing that. Right. Um, in fact, they invented the word annihilation because of Hannibal and what he did coming across the Alps. But that's, man, I really ought to do a history podcast, huh? Dead. One podcast at a time. Okay. So moving on. So we're talking about our earthworks. Think about, and I'll just kind of recap there. Just think about all of your edges, edges, edges to the edge of your property. Ask yourself, can somebody just walk across this or drive across it? In fact, you could even get, you could even get deeper in the military. We use this method called tangle foot and um, they've used it in world war, world war two. It was very, even in world war one, basically what you have are, let's say pickets at, we'll call it knee height. And basically there was no rhyme or reason to this stuff. We'd take barbed wire, go all in and out, out and in, you name it. So you can't just run across there. Now, does that make sense on the homestead? No, no. 
But what no, could you put out there? Please don't go throwing barbed wire out there because <laughs> somebody else is later going to have to deal with it. And we were those people at one point. <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to do that. But what could you do? You might have. You, you know, could use plants. I mean, you could like look at a blackberry patch. How many people are going to just stroll through that? I mean, you could use blackberry. You could even use honey locust if you want That's to. That's my dog. That's yeah, exactly use... what they did in world. They they had hedgerows yeah. in World War II. And they had to specially, they had to uh, retrofit tanks just to get through that stuff. It was so thick. Yeah. So like your edges, especially your property edge, think about those areas. So don't go putting barbed wire out there. You could do Tanglefoot if you want to. But, Tanglefoot um, sounds like a purple breather permaculture documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Tanglefoot Tangle or some foot. or some kind of weirdo uh, hipster rock star, man. It just came out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Tanglefoot Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I can see that at some rock concert. So, yeah, Tanglefoot. But think about another method in which you could do that. You know what might work pretty well? Believe it or not, it, it was. I was thinking about when we were laying this podcast out. I was thinking, well, what if you had trellises out there? It would still. You're not just going to run right through a trellis. You know, you yeah. don't need some cutters. So, folks, this stuff can be beautiful, it can be functional, and it can also be protective all at the same time. I want to give a shout-out to John Willis over at SOE for kind of sparking this whole thing. But truth is, we've been doing it this way for a long, long time. You can even ask Darren at Hacks for the Homesteader. Um, we, we had actually gone through and planned up a lot of stuff like that, too. Okay, so let's move on. You got your earthworks covered. And, of course, I could, folks, I could probably monologue on this on that alone, in terms of earthworks and how it could be used in a tactical sense, I could honestly monologue on that for probably two hours straight, and I'm not kidding. All right, so, all right, going back to what we talked about, folks, we're weaving a thread here that I didn't even know we were weaving when we talked about, do you want an orchard or do you want a food forest? Right. And I talked about how I'd made the transition mentally from, because I love orchards, I really do, permaculture orchards anyway, and uh, I love all orchards, truth be known. But I told you I've been kind of leaning towards a food forest. And son, do you want to go the reasons why? Yeah, I mean, nobody walking down the road is going to recognize a food forest as an orchard. They might recognize one or two trees, maybe, and they might think it's an accident. But they're not going to recognize that that is a forest of food, especially if you start. And that's a good way to hide your annuals as well. So if your food forest is growing up, um, you could plant your annuals like we do right in between the, the perennial production. It's called the syntropic method. But you could get, instead of having raised beds that are pretty obvious and any, anybody can tell what a raised bed is, you could just do it in between your food forest that looks like a new growth, overgrown mess anyways. I talked about this in that last uh, class we did, that workshop we did for swales. And mm-hmm. this came up. And I brought up the point that in nature, you're never going to see straight lines now that was tough for me being a journeyman electrician. Everything I put up is going to be level and plumb. So everybody in your house, look around you right now. Everything you see that was made by man or woman was usually in straight lines, level and plumb. It might be slightly rounded. So in nature, you don't see that. That's why camouflage patterns are set the way they are. They break up the structure. So now what about that digital stuff? That's just a bunch of squares. Dave. I always thought that was garbage. Uh, yeah, I always thought, but from a distance is what they're counting on. Is that from a distance? I never did like it. I like the old fashioned. In fact, my favorite is just straight up OD green. That blends in better than anything I've ever seen in terms of camouflage. Mm-hmm. But the point being is that imagine you're in a growing season and let's say times are tough and people are tripping and people are out there looking to steal your stuff. Well, you got an orchard right there. Now, I want to say this first. How many times have people driven up that driveway and didn't even know they were in an orchard? Yeah. that. How many um, times has that happened? More times than I can count. I mean, it obviously stands out. When it, the way we have it set up, it, it stands out because the whole area is heavily mulched. So that obviously catches your eye. But unless we told you, and if you had no idea what permaculture was, you wouldn't know what that is. No, no, you wouldn't. But let's say we're in the vegetative and productive season. And guess what sticks out to you like a sore thumb in nature? Anything round. So when you got, let's say you have apples sitting on a tree, that's going to stick out to somebody. Let's say you have pears. I mean, you name it, pick the fruit. As long if it's a berry, you might get away with it. But generally, people are going to see geometric outlines of circles in nature. It is going to stick out like a sore thumb. So that's why from a tactical sense, 
I am now a much bigger fan of a food force than I ever was. You could even have your nitrogen fixers on the outside exactly. facing, facing like the street side or the neighbor side and then have your fruit production on the inside of that edge. And also, I mean, how many people go through the forest checking for fruit trees? It's Nobody. not like they're going to go through your property and make sure that, oh, those are all nitrogen fixers. Especially, yeah, yeah, from the edge, from the outside, you're driving up and down that road. You're not going to look through that black locust yeah. or you're not going to look at... Um, any other nitrogen fixture, you're not going to look past that and see anything because the uh, the growth, if we've if you've done it right, maybe that's what you plan for. Maybe that's what you look for. Now, there's a whole lot of people out there that are going to lose their mind and say, no, you're putting your politics in permaculture or you're putting your, you know what? I don't see anybody tripping out there for all you purple people or purple breathers, as William calls them. I don't hear anybody talking about when you do it. So if you want to bring it, don't start no SH. There won't be no IT when it comes to how I'm going to look at this. This is, that's why I said tactical permaculture. So, you know, cut and paste what you think out of this, but that's exactly why I'm thinking in terms of food forests and orchards, if you have an orchard, it's not hard to retrofit that and make it a food forest for tactical reasons. If you chose. Yeah. You just plant more trees. If you have an orchard, it's easy. You just plant more trees and now you have a food forest. There you go. So <laughs> it's going to break up that outline just like camouflage does. That's exactly what he's talking about taking some shrubs, taking some nitrogen fixing, whatever. It can be on the edge. As people drive by, they are not going to see through there and see all that if you set it up right. And you can prune. You can also prune heavily um, to branches that might stick out like a sore thumb from the road. You know, if you care that much, maybe you want to drive and see where your obvious parts are. Maybe you want to prune that branch, even though it's productive. Or maybe you don't want to prune. Maybe you don't want to chop and drop some of your nitrogen fixers. Maybe you want to leave those and let them grow bushy or prune them in a way they do go bushy. All right. So perennial crops. Um, that's another thing in terms of permaculture and preparedness. In permaculture, we're trying to lean towards everything as perennial as we can possibly get. For example, Instead of going out there fooling around with a bunch of tomatoes, they grow these uh, Tommy toes up here in the mountains yeah. that grow like weeds. And it's not a funny way to say tomatoes. They're just called Tommy toes. Yeah, I thought it was just the way the locals talked. I mean, they're like a grape tomato, but do I really need to put a bunch of effort into growing regular vine tomatoes or anything else, man, when I can sit here and get these? Yeah. I mean, from a perennial standpoint, think about it. And it's where most homesteaders, in my view, are missing the boat. In Texas, everybody would always ask, and it blew my mind because I couldn't believe it. Every time you turn around when you'd want to put in an orchard for somebody, I, son, I'm yep. floored with the response, and it would always be, well, who's going to pick the fruit? Yeah, that's the easy part. I'm like, what? Doing something with the fruit is hard, but picking it is easy. <laughs> you would think. I mean, I've never understood but even then, that. Fruit, everybody wants fruit. I mean, you can give it away if it comes to, you know, if it comes to that. Yeah, but, but also you're talking about perennial species i'm i'm thinking um animal husbandry as well and chickens and rabbits are the easiest ones to reproduce and to harvest well thinking about it from a tactile standpoint folks i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a curveball in here william is, doesn't even know about in this when we get to the animal systems yeah uh, but think about those perennial crops things you can put in that, the gift that keeps on giving in fact i remember joseph simcox um man it was pretty cool meeting him at uh, one of the missouri growers conferences and uh, they brought him in as a keynote speaker. And he doesn't, to this day, that dude doesn't know how close he came to getting yelled at from me. <laughs> because there was a lady up there giving a presentation. He kept interjecting. And I'm like, man, who is this dude? I didn't know who he was. This is years ago. I didn't know who he was. And uh, anyway, I come to find out later on he was a keynote speaker. I'm like, boy, I'm glad I didn't cuss <laughs> him out. Because <laughs> he about got told, look, dude, shut up. Sit there and shut up. I had no idea this dude was a genius, but one of the things he does is that he travels the world and um, he finds a lot of these obscure things, brings them back to Baker Creek. And also he was pleading with people in the audience. Hey, here's, here's what he said. Hey, there are tubers out there taste better than potatoes and you can grow them. They're perennial. You never have to fall. And it always stuck out to me. I was like, man, he was like, okay, all you need to do is get them adapted. Okay. And he, he was talking about the success stories that they did have. And he was really talking about a ton, a ton of perennial things, mostly storage crops. Some of these things had um, good night. I mean, I think some of them, even he said, if I remember right, they had lasted at least a year and um, they were all perennial. So they were kind of like ginseng where you got to put a little bit back, right. uh, kind of like a potato. 
but they were even more robust, very disease resistant. At least they were at that part of Peru where he had them. So think about some of those perennial crops out there. Let's talk about animals. And hold on. Also, don't be worried about what's native and what's non-native. Jeff Lawton has made a very good argument that if it's if it came from Earth, it is native. It is native <laughs> to your area. At this point, it is native to your area. But try with the things at first that do that you already know do well there. Right. You know, it or kills me do, with, with these people with their survival seeds. You don't yeah. know where those seeds came from. Yep. And you're going to wait until, oh, a calamity jumped off. Let me put these seeds in the ground. The Let reason, me know how that works out for you. The reason we say start with what's growing in your area first is because, and the only reason I say it is because you know that does well there. I'm not saying it to try to preserve the native species or to exclude any non-native species or anything like that. I mean, stay away from species that are so-called invasive, depending on the species, and uh, you know, plant what works there. Mimic the other environments if you see something that's interesting in a, in a simpler, similar environment. Regarding animals, you brought up a couple already. Um, chickens and rabbits. Chickens and rabbits. Okay. Now, let's look at this in a different way in terms of tactical ability and son we've had this discussion actually weeks ago and we're thinking i was debating on whether or not i wanted to say okay rabbits don't make a whole lot of noise no okay if you're in a tactical environment noise and light discipline in fact light discipline is probably going to get a lot of people killed because you know why most people don't know how to walk in the woods without a flashlight that was one thing i learned in the army i mean that's a, that's a big deal you don't Use a flashlight. You let your night vision come on, and you know what time it is after a while. Your eyes will adjust as long as some fool doesn't go and spray, you know, put, put a headlight in your face. So learning how to walk in the woods and doing all this stuff, I'm, I'm getting a little sideways here, but I want to make sure I point that out. You better learn how to walk in the woods with moonlight or none at all. And believe me, it can be done. I've done it in the jungles of Panama where there was no visibility. It can be done. Um, or with very, very, very minimal Light. Now, when it comes to your animal systems, this might throw people for a loop. You brought up rabbits. Okay, very good. The rooster is going to be an issue, though. Or if you don't have a rooster, some of those hens have been known to make yeah, some noise, too. when they lay. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. Um, also, sheep. They don't make a whole lot of noise. Goats make noise. Sheep can make noise. It depends. Like there, I've noticed that some sheep are just noisier than others. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a new one. Call for the amount of noise they make. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's one. <laughs> These but, are the quietest sheep on earth. But think about this from a tactical standpoint. And I've been doing a lot of this lately. Okay, cows. Think about that. Cows. I mean, you know, there, there's going to be some modern day rustlers out there, possibly. So with cows. Think about it, son. Just with Coco, we got a bull here. If you don't know, we got a bull here, and we had plans for him. Um, had plans for him, and but every time he makes a noise, he makes this. I mean, it doesn't sound like a regular cow. He's got his no. own little sound, but you can hear it echo all up and down this valley. Yeah, and he's responding to other other cows and bulls that have echoed up and down this valley. And I mean, recently, they're just echoing back and forth, basically. Well, here's the, here's the critical part is now I'm asking critical questions regarding his involvement here. Now, the idea with Coco was we basically use him to, you know, mow down the grass, put his fertility behind. And we keep some of that also for the chicken tractor on steroids and the other things we do. But I'm now asking myself, does this make a whole lot of sense at this point? If things get stupid, do I want him here? And for me, this might blow your mind, y'all. Um, from a tactical standpoint, the answer is no. Yeah. So we're thinking seriously. We've actually, you know, sent out some overtures to folks out there to see if they want to take him. Um, he's such a sweet little bull. I don't want to put him in the freezer. And I'm sure somebody would want to have him. But the point being, from a tactical standpoint, I can hide sheep up in these mountains. I can't hide that bull up here. And all you need, and folks, is another military tactic. Whenever we do a mission... And let's say it was a, uh, a mission where you went in there and you wreaked total devastation. It was once military doctrine, I don't know if it is anymore, that when we get to our reconsolidation line, it is always a terrain feature beyond the target you hit. And there's a reason for that. We always chose to be, let's say, a hilltop away from wherever you did your mission. The reason for that is sound. Sound. 
any jiggling, all that stuff is going to be redirected up into the air if there is a hill between me and the target. So your noise discipline is, there's a little less concern for that. So that's why you're always a terrain feature away. So if I take that same doctrine and I bring it to the homestead and I'm thinking, okay, is there a terrain feature between that bull and the potential people that could hear him? Even if there were, I don't even know if it would make a difference. Yeah. I mean, he's so loud. It's it's not going to matter. Something's going to hear him. So I'm thinking from a tactical sense, I'm thinking, huh? Do I really want to go ahead and do this? Do I want to keep him? We'll let you know in the future, y'all. We get back for this Q&A here before long. Good morning, America. Time to get to waking up. We've never all at once been confronted with so much crazy stuff. We should be able to find the truth, but they make it tough. You think the news would tell you, but most of that they've been making up. For anyone who's good, there's a John Wilkes booth. All the Jedi's lying dead while the Sith grow roots. And if you try to speak the truth, they'll Anthony Bourdain you, hang you, and use suicide to explain you. We don't All right, back with the Q&A, y'all. Well, we went a little long in that segment, but we'll try to get a couple of these out. Thank you so much to everybody out there who submitted questions. And we're going to start trying to uh, get some of those questions from that, um, from that fountain app. Uh, as I understand it, there's a lot of questions over there that people can um, submit. And we still have to learn that, but... Man, that's really going to be the way I hope every podcaster goes that way in a few or pimp yeah, caster. Every pimp caster. All right. So we got so one. So far, there's only two. That's it. And we're right here in this room. <laughs> so, all right. So we got one from uh, Jason and it's regarding Homestead and the Burbs. He's got like a three part question here. It says, awesome podcast. Keep it up, gents. In short, my question is if you live in the suburbs and felt tied to a good job, would you A, Homestead in the Burbs to stay near work. B, homestead in the country two and a half hours away from work. And C, homestead in the Burbs, create another stream of income, establish a rural retreat 10 hours, ten plus hours away in case we uh, lost the main source of in- income. Um, so what, what's your vote on that, son? Because I'm intimately aware of the situation, I would pick option C. Um, I, I, I would go ahead and make that move. Uh, and it, the reason I'm saying that is the type of suburbs that Jason is located in. Um, if it was like the suburbs of Nashville or Knoxville or something like that, that's completely different. But being in the suburbs of New York City, I mean, that that's not an area you want to hang around at all. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Work, get the money while you can, and build up that second stream of income in that second location while you can. I'm going to agree, you know, in this time and age, I mean, it, nobody ever wants to hear this question or this response, but it depends. I mean, everybody's going to be a little bit different on me. I can't stand cities. I mean, just going to Asheville, man, it just gives me the heebie jeebies, man. I, 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 I detest just about everything. Now towns, I don't mind towns. I can dig towns are cool. Like, like Irwin, Tennessee. That, yeah. That's a cool little town. Yeah. Or, you know, Hannibal, Missouri. That's more of a city, I would think. Yeah, that's probably but a city. I can overlook a few we'll things. We'll find out. I'm we'll let about, you know. I'm all about that <laughs> historical, constru- <laughs> historical construct. And plus, if I get a chance to go check out some of Mark Twain's stomping grounds, I'm all about it. So LT says, I have 2.7 acres and I'm not allowed uh, livestock. I have chickens under the radar, but supposedly I need a permit with a $50 yearly fee. Robbery. Um, I'm rural for goodness sakes. Apparently if you can make the code enforcer mad, you're treated differently. My neighbors, my neighbors love us. No one complains. I really like Joe. Okay. So where are they located? Uh, don't know that I should say, I, I want to say it's yeah. Western New York. All right. Find out whatever endangered bird is in New York <laughs> is in New York. And that's what your chickens identify as, especially in New York, especially in New York. Why you can get not- away with that. Folks think I'm joking, but I am deadly serious. Every time these fools come out here and they talk about, oh, well, you know, I mean, I want to be this. I want to be a transtestical polar bear. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to do all this different stuff. Um, and I got I to gotta sit here and suspend my understanding of reality to play games with them. So why not use it in reverse? Tell them, look, your chickens identify and tell them straight face. We did a video on it. Tell them those chickens identify as dogs. Okay. They're looking for permission slips. I was just thinking, what if, what if we could do? We could play the whole the, 
the whole uh, position of authority thing, we could write up some legit permission slips. It could be like from the the pimp authorities or something like that saying, this woman is allowed to have whatever livestock. Yeah. What if we did that? No, we, could, I, I, we could probably figure out something. We could leave it blank, like doctor's notes. We could leave it blank and sell it on the website, like hey, pack a five. Oh, man, son, I think that's a winner right there, man. Pack a five. If nothing else, hey, look for that, y'all. It's a novelty. I think it'll be great. It could be a hall pass. Like anybody who's seen Parks and Rec, <laughs> there's that one scene where Ron is holding up that hall pass, and it just says, I can do whatever I want. You know, at the you know when you get down to brass tacks on this stuff, man, it really irks me. That th- there's those of us that want to play by the rules, but you know what? I don't recall anybody getting with me when they decided to hand over, I don't know how many billions over to Ukraine or how many billions over to Israel or how many billions over to Saudi Arabia or how many billions over to all these different countries. Meanwhile, I'm watching grandmas in grocery stores flipping coins, wondering whether or not they're going to get the necessary groceries they need to live or whether or not they're going to take their heart medication. And I'm supposed to care about some idiotic law. You're out here breaking my chops over some nonsense like that. I'm not caring anymore. I'm not asking for permission. And if you want to sit here and pull this nonsense of, um, gee, you don't have a permit. Like Jack Spierko said, a permit or a fine is just, it's legal for a fee. Yeah. So if you want to play that, you know, I would make their life a living hell too. And say, look, okay, you want to play this game? My chickens identify, and I would literally go to the county. If everybody can do this, you know, you got Rachel Dolezal pretending to be black. And, um, you know, if everybody else can, if they're doing this, why not do what Spirko calls the, um, you know, mental jujitsu with these fools? Yeah. And I'm probably using that word a little bit too much. But honestly, I'm at my wits end when it comes to this. I'm not asking for your permission anymore. I'm not asking for forgiveness either. I'm just asking to live my life, be left alone and not have anybody and not comply with your idiotic rules. When you have other rules that just make zero, you know, I'm supposed to play along with these. I'm supposed, I get fined for misgendering somebody. Get some wildlife refuge signs. Get some of those as well. Like get some, like if you get what I'm saying, get some of those signs that insinuate that what you're, what you have is endangered and needs to be protected. Beryl says, uh, I became aware of your bone sauce product and would like to know the ingredients. I'm not asking for a recipe, although some have. Some <laughs> people have had, hey, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, you're not much of a uh, humanitarian unless you just tell somebody, well, go look at Seth Holtz's recipe. The recipe's out there. Yeah. We, we're not hiding the recipe. It's out there. Well, <laughs> our, recipe, <laughs> our recipe is different. Um, there's a process well, that we invented. Well, this is Billy's bone sauce. Right. That's why we don't call it Sep's bone sauce, and it's not even his. You can go read Sep Holzer's book, and, I, and I'm not dogging you here, Beryl. I know you're asking for different reasons, so I'll get... I'm just kind of dogging these people that, um, you know, want to take me to task on that. She's asking if... Um, or he... I'm not sure... Well, Beryl Rose, okay. Well, Beryl is asking, uh, there are certain animal products and products I do not use. Well, I'll be honest with you, Beryl. We got an entire ecosystem up in that jar. Yeah, this is not a vegan product. Nah. (laughs) This is the opposite. If you name the animal, and I will reveal this much, but I'm not going to reveal the process because that's really where the secret lies is the is the uh, process we invented. I mean, we could even explain the process and you're still not going to get it right. I'll put it this way, y'all. I have made... I don't even know how many batches of this stuff. And every once in a while, I screw it up. I taught my son, and he screws it up about half the time. Thanks, Dad. So, yeah, it's true, though. It, you, there's things <laughs> yeah, you can't it is. Teach. It's not just it's not just. It's not just a recipe. You have to understand it. Well, okay, just in a nutshell, you can. I can guarantee you there's going to be pig, uh, chicken, beef, um, as often as I can get it, some deer. It helps, honestly, when you have... And there's also some secret stuff in here. Yeah. Every bit of it's natural. I mean, it's not... I mean, we're not putting any nuclear waste or anything in there, but... It's strictly... It's like strictly animal products that are going in this. And truth is, it works... It absolutely works best uh, when you use it on trees. In fact, that was really what it was designed for. I know a lot of people have gotten to the point where they've taken this stuff and they've used it in um, their gardens, gardens and stuff like it was never designed for that, but it it worked out for a lot of people. Yeah. It seems to be working for a lot of people. It's just not designed for that. It's specifically to apply directly to your tree. And some people are saying that it hasn't worked in their gardens or did for a while. Then it didn't. Um, There was one lady that claimed it. It it, it attracted attracted deer. deer, Yeah. Yeah. Which it ain't attracting nothing. No, no, (laughs) it's not attracting deer. She said, I didn't have a problem with my, uh, yeah, she sent this thing. I didn't have a problem with anything at all. 
until I put the bone sauce all in and deer ate up all my sweet potatoes. Right. I'm like, hold on, then why'd you get it in the first place? Yeah. If you had no problem at all. <laughs> so yeah, we have one person out there playing games on that stuff. Folks, honestly, we could do probably part two, part three. We're not going to do that right now. If there's demand out there, if you want to hear more about tactical permaculture, believe me, I left out a ton of stuff. So we may have to revisit in the later episode, y'all. So hopefully this stuff was a blessing to you. Stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alive.